it keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. Just what you've been waiting for. Movies, TV, music, and more. Follow, subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. Welcome, everyone, to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, the Oscars are on March 10th. I know everyone is filled to the brim with excitement, so we're celebrating on today's episode by watching a Best Picture winner. Now, it also happens to be another Norman Jewison movie. I didn't plan it that way. It just happened, but I think it's worth it for such an influential and genre-diverse director. I'm also going to share my predictions for the 96th Academy Awards. I haven't seen all the films, and if you have, you need to get out more, but based on the 37 other award shows this season, I think I can get close. I promise there's no witty banter, and it won't take four hours to get through. Now, I've skipped all the technical stuff, because outside of seven of us, no one else is really that interested. So we'll start with original song. This one's a shoe in What Was I Made For from Barbie, written and performed by Billie Eilish, along with her brother Phineas O'Connell. Original score, Oppenheimer, composed by Ludwig Gorenson. Original screenplay, Anatomy of a Fall, written by Justine Triette and Arthur Harari. Adapted screenplay. Now, before I reveal the winner, there was a bit of controversy about this. Some people believe that the Barbie screenplay should have been under original, because there was no concept to create from. But Barbie has been an established brand for decades upon decades, and it has a built-in audience. So it fits the very definition of adapted. Just because it wasn't a novel or a comic book doesn't mean it wasn't adapted. But still, they're going to lose. It's going to go to Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan. Animated feature, this should be no surprise, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Sony Pictures Animation keeps knocking it out of the park with these movies. Actor in a supporting role, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Why not? Actress in a supporting role, Divine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers. Acting in a leading role, another from The Holdovers, Paul Giamatti. If I was an Academy voter, I would give it to him just to get another great acceptance speech. He's been gold this award season. Actress in a leading role, that's going to go to Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon. The last two categories, you could bet your house on it. Director Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. And Best Picture, Oppenheimer. Shocker. There shouldn't be too many surprises, but I'll still be interested to watch. Those are my predictions. Did I get it right? Did I get it wrong? Let me know what you think on social using the hashtag MattWatchThat. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it, 
Two stars watch at your own risk. Three stars standard fare. Four stars worth checking out. And five stars must see. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing In the Heat of the Night from 1967. It was directed by Norman Jewison, who helmed thriller The Thomas Crown Affair, musical Jesus Christ Superstar, dystopian sci-fi flick Rollerball, and rom-com Best Friends. Over his illustrious career, he received seven Academy Award nominations. The screenplay was written by Sterling Siliphant, who scribed disaster films The Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno, Dirty Harry sequel The Enforcer, and the truck-driving, arm-wrestling family flick Over the Top. In the Heat of the Night was based on the novel of the same name by John Ball. It stars Sidney Poitier as Detective Virgil Tibbs. He was born in Miami, but his family lived in the Bahamas at the time. He would return to South Beach to live with his brother during his teen years, and at 18, moved to New York City where he worked odd jobs until he was accepted into the A&T Theater Group. He was spotted by a casting agent and earned a part in the Broadway production of Lysistrata. His big screen debut was in the Daryl F. Zanuck produced, Joseph Mankiewicz directed No Way Out as Dr. Luther Brooks. His next significant role was in Blackboard Jungle, but his breakthrough would be in The Defiant Ones, co-starring with Tony Curtis. His performance earned him an Academy Award nod. He would be the first African-American to be nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role. This would lead to starring vehicles in Porgy and Bess, A Raisin in the Sun, Pressure Point, and Lilies of the Field, where he won an Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role, becoming the first African-American to do so, and the only one until Denzel Washington for Training Day in 2001. He would go on to appear in the Cold War drama, The Bedford Incident, the biblical epic, The Greatest Story Ever Told, the drama, To Sir With Love, and the social romantic dramedy, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. He was the first African-American actor to have his hands and footprints cemented at Grumman's Chinese Theater, was awarded an honorary knighthood of the Order of the British Empire in 1974, appointed as ambassador of the Bahamas to Japan, and was given an honorary Oscar in 2001 for lifetime achievement, exceptional contribution to motion picture, arts and sciences, and outstanding service to the Academy. This is something to look out for. The dialogue between Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger at Police Chief Gillespie's house was taken from improvisations during rehearsals. So let's jump into it. In Sparta, Mississippi, during the wee hours of the night, Officer Sam Wood comes across the dead body of Philip Colbert, a businessman who's overseeing the building of a factory. He was robbed of his belongings and there were no witnesses to the crime. Police Chief Bill Gillespie asks Wood to search around town. When he checks out the train station and comes across a black man, he is immediately suspicious. After finding that he has a wallet with a good amount of money, he arrests the man and brings him down to the station. He's questioned by Gillespie about the murder of Philip Colbert. The man identifies himself as Virgil Tibbs, who was in town visiting his mother and was waiting on the train back to Philadelphia. When asked how he earned that much money, Tibbs reveals that he's a police officer and homicide expert. Gillespie confirms this fact by calling his precinct. While Tibbs wants to leave town on the next train, his boss in Philadelphia suggests that he stay in Sparta to help Gillespie with the murder investigation. 
Though Gillespie, like many of Sparta's white residents, is racist, he and Tibbs reluctantly agree to work together. Here's a quote without context. I got the motive which is money, and the body which is dead. In the Heat of the Night is an iconic film that addresses the racial divide in America, even when two people are on the same side of the law. It's a classically formatted script. Within 15 minutes, we know the main characters, what the story is about, and the setting of the movie. It should be required viewing in all filmmaking classes. There are no false notes in the screenplay. It's also not overly preachy. It allows the audience to observe the actions and assumptions of the Southern officers and come to the conclusion that they're completely wrong about Tibbs. It's also one of the earliest films that I can remember that talks about forensics in a police investigation. I'm sure this was an inspiration for shows like Law and & Order and CSI. Now for a little trivial trivia. Rod Steiger went through 263 packs of gum throughout the shoot. If you've ever seen the movie, you're not surprised. In the Heat of the Night was produced by Walter Marish, who was responsible for The Great Escape, The Pink Panther, The Thomas Crown Affair, and Fiddler on the Roof. It was mostly filmed in Sparta, Illinois, to act as Mississippi, because Sidney Poitier had reservations about filming in states below the Mason-Dixon line. He and Harry Belafonte visited the southern state and were confronted by Ku Klux Klansmen. The scene in the cotton field was filmed in Tennessee, as there were no plantations in the north that was a suitable substitute. The cinematography was captured by Haskell Wexler, whose filmography includes The Thomas Crown Affair, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Richard Pryor, Live on the Sunset Strip, and won two Oscars for Best Cinematography of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Bound for Glory. It was edited by Hal Ashby, who worked on The Cincinnati Kid, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and The Thomas Crown Affair. The score was composed by Quincy Jones, who wrote the music for In Cold Blood, The Italian Job, The Hot Rock, and The Color Purple. He's the winner of 28 Grammy Awards and has been nominated for seven Oscars. The soundtrack featured songs by Glenn Campbell, Gil Bernal, Owens Boomer Castleman, and Michael Martin Murphy. The title track, In the Heat of the Night, was written by Quincy Jones and songwriting duo Marilyn and Alan Bergman, and performed by Ray Charles. It reached 33 on the Billboard Hot 100. The runtime is 1 hour 50 minutes. It had a budget of $2 million and grossed $24 million at the box office. It was nominated for seven Oscars at the 1967 Academy Awards, winning five for Best Picture, Actor in a Leading Role, Writing, Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium, Sound, and Editing. It's an impressive feat considering it competed against Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Cool Hand Luke, The Dirty Dozen, Barefoot in the Park, and In Cold Blood in various categories. Two sequels, They Call Me Mr. Tibbs and The Organization, followed in 1970 and 1971 respectively, with Sidney Poitier returning in the iconic role. A television series starring Howard Rollins and Carol O'Connor ran for seven seasons, 147 episodes, from 1988 to 1995. In 2002, the movie was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. On the Ski Index, I give it 5 out of 5 stars. Yes, you heard that right. All around a great piece of cinema. If you've seen In the Heat of the Night and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. 
Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Each year during award season, while the Golden Globes, Academy Awards, Screen Actors Guild Awards, and BAFTAs are celebrating the best in film, there's one award show that celebrates mediocrity. The Golden Raspberry Awards, also known as the Razzies, is a parody award show that honors the worst and least successful films of the year. It was founded by publicist John J.B. Wilson, who had the good fortune of seeing the double feature of Can't Stop the Music and Xanadu. It made him realize that he's watched more than enough disappointing movies that deserve to be celebrated for their low quality. Remember that. The first Golden Raspberry Awards took place on March 31, 1981. There were traditional categories, but instead of being the best, the nominees were the worst. Worst Original Song, Worst Screenplay, Worst Supporting Actor and Actress, Worst Leading Actor and Actress, Worst Director, and of course, Worst Picture, whose nominees were Cruising, The Formula, Friday the 13th, The Jazz Singer, The Nude Bomb, Raise the Titanic, Saturn 3, Windows, Xanadu, and the winner, Can't Stop the Music. As someone who loves a good or bad B-movie, I appreciate that a spotlight was being shown on these glorious pieces of trash. I mean, Howard the Duck, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, Bolero, heck, any canon movie would be a good candidate. But at some point, the Razzie Awards went from being a kitschy show to a cruel one. There are a lot of terrible movies released each year, but the Razzies started nominating mainstream films and stars. I'm not saying that Hollywood is invulnerable to releasing a bad movie, but I would take the worst Helen Mirren, Russell Crowe performances over most independent film acting. And even if a movie is bad, technically, it's still light years ahead of films with low budgets. So I'd like to see the award show go back to celebrating truly wretched movies. That's not to say there haven't been memorable moments. Two come to mind. In 2005, Halle Berry won for Worst Actress in Catwoman. She showed up to receive the award in person and reenacted her Academy Award-winning speech by crying through her acceptance. Five years later, Sandra Bullock was nominated and won for All About Steve. She came to the ceremony with DVDs of the movie and the shooting script, which she was going to read page by page. It was absolutely a masterclass in comedy, humility, and gave everyone another reason to love America's sweetheart. She would get the last laugh. The next night, she won the Oscar for The Blind Side. So I've selected a couple of clips on the Razzies, and they're all available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about The Negotiator. It tells a story of Lieutenant Danny Roman, a hostage negotiator, who's implicated in an embezzling scheme from the department's disability fund and accused of murdering his partner to cover up his tracks. To clear his name, Roman goes to the Internal Affairs Office 
and takes his chief accuser, Inspector Terence Niebaum, and a bunch of office workers hostage. It was directed by F. Gary Gray. I'm a big fan of his work. Think he's truly a talented artist. He started out directing music videos for Ice Cube, Cypress Hill, Outkast, and Dr. Dre. His big screen debut was the comedy Friday. He would go on to direct features Set It Off, The Italian Job, and Straight Outta Compton. His next project is based on the 80s toy line, Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command. Yes, that's Command with a K. It was co-written by James DeMonico, who would go on to create the Purge franchise, and Kevin Fox, producer on Power Book 3. It was inspired by a 1988 case involving a pension kickback scheme in St. Louis. It stars Samuel L. Jackson in an underrated and underappreciated role. Kevin Spacey plays fellow negotiator and sparring partner, Lieutenant Chris Sabian. David Morse portrays Commander Adam Beck, who operates in shades of gray. You're never sure if he's part of the scheme or a noble officer. It also features Ron Rifkin, John Spencer, Paul Giamatti, Reggie Taylor, Dean Norris, and J.T. Walsh, who passed away shortly after filming commenced. The movie is dedicated in his memory. The Negotiator is an effective thriller. Even at 2 hours and 20 minutes, which everyone knows how I feel about that, it keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. The interplay between Jackson and Spacey is a masterclass of acting. While the ending of these types of movies are somewhat predictable, you're rooting for the good guy to clear his name. It's how they reach the climax that was fun, unique, and gripping. At the box office, it was up against some pretty stiff competition, War Epic Saving Private Ryan, Family Flick The Parent Trap, and Comedy There's Something About Mary. But for those who missed it, The Negotiator is a worthwhile watch, slick, top-notch entertainment. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me, Bow. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for all the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. Musical Jesus Christ Superstar, dystopian sci-fi flick, sci oh boy. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing In the Heat of the... <clears throat> Excuse me.